0: As Pastor Eric led us through, um, we are new creations in Christ. We took a hiatus from Acts, but now we are back in Acts. As you're going to Acts chapter 16, there are Bibles in the seat back in front of you. If you don't have one, if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible. It is our gift to you. Um, As you're looking that up, I want to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 1. It says this, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I'm here to tell you that your life, we heard this a few weeks ago. We believe in a fully sovereign God here. He is fully sovereign. He knows our days of yesterday. He knows our days of tomorrow. Uh, All of time for him is kind of this one just kind of contingent reality where he there is he's outside of time. Okay? He knows all things. And somehow, you know, we live and we make choices. Somehow those two things are true, and we know those two things to be true. And so Tomorrow, we know that God knows what's going to happen. Nothing takes him by surprise, okay? So if you were to say um, all of your decisions in life, all of your planning in life, God knows what they are. God knows the decisions you'll make. God knows the plan for your life from this day until your last day of breath. Um, if you want to sit, call it a problem, I don't know, but God doesn't really tell us those things, Right? So if you and I wanted to say, well, geez, if I want to find God's will for my life, whatever that plan is, how do I find it? And ultimately, you know, we have de- uh, uh, verses like Deuteronomy 29 that says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the, stuff revealed, the things revealed to His children belong to us. So we have this kind of will of God that we know it exists, that we know it is true, but He very rarely kind of explicitly reveals those things to us. But It's kind of the problem. So if you and I want to say, well, how do we know God's will for my life? Well, how do we find that? Can we find it? Should we be seeking that? This has to do with our passages. Paul um, is wrapped up in his decisions, and we see there's some conflicts, and he gets redirected, and how these things play out. I I grew up as a Christian. I baptized I think I was six years old, the same age as my son. We baptized Sunday. And I grew up in the church. I'm familiar with the goofy lingo we all can use. If you spent a lot of time in the church, if you have it, then um, you may not be familiar with this stuff. But Christians can get hyper-spiritual when it comes to discerning the will of God for your life. And this applies to people in all age brackets. I'm not just talking to people who are you know, young and in college trying to figure out what career. Um, this applies to all of us. We get hyper-spiritual when we're trying to discern the will of God for our life. How do we do this? And so what I've seen Christians do, uh, Christian colleges are terrible about this, actually. Um, They present it to us as if, you know, with enough, you know, uh, prayer and fasting and, you know, uh, just time over your scriptures and just, you know, pray, 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 you know, eventually God's going to somehow reveal to you the exact step you're going to do. And... If you do those things, you'll, meet, you'll be met with success. But if you somehow screw this up, you'll know it when things kind of fall apart, when things go bad. It's like, well, geez, was this really the will of God for my life? If I found the will of God for my life, surely it would have been met with success. Surely he would have blessed this. It would have been great. You know, and this is when our version of, you know, the American narrative of, you know, be successful and, you know, et cetera, in your, in your job and let things always progress. We get it kind of intertwined with our Christianity thinking, well, if God were to bless my decisions, then I know that I'm in his will, then I know that I'm, I've discovered the secret will of God, right, for my life. I know what I need to do. I know what decisions I need to make. But if I screw this up, he won't bless it. Then, therefore, I chose the wrong path. I must have not heard, I must not be very good at hearing from the Lord. I've sat with people with this struggle. I've been there in my life. But I'm here to tell you, okay, that whenever I preach, like I I love doing this because I love doing it to myself. If we ever have God in this neat little box and we try to live our Christianity as if we just got this all figured out, I want to always try to blow that up for you because we're dealing with an infinite God revealed to us in Christ, and he's never going to be able to fit in this kind of neat narrative of how he acts. We're going to see that this morning. I want to read through Acts chapter 16. Paul is faced with his second missionary journey here. All right, we just got famous with the Jerusalem council when they were dealing with the inclusion of Gentiles into the church. Do we give them the Mosaic law to keep? And they said, no, we don't have to do that. I was like, well, that's fantastic. And so Paul actually talks to his friend Barnabas, who, uh, with him on the first missionary journey, he says, hey, let's go back to the churches that we planted and see how things are going let's go back out and they had a little tuffle if you remember right Barnabas was like all right let's bring Mark with us and Paul said no way that dude abandoned us and so he said let's bring Silas and they got in a fight and then ended up splitting so Barnabas takes Mark he goes south to Cyprus Paul goes up north to Antioch and Syria and then back out west and so once they're in um they go out and their trips and they meet in, in Durban, in Lystra, if you remember, Lystra was where uh, Paul was stoned, if you remember that part. He goes back to the city, and he meets a man named Timothy, and he uh, loves him. The churches love Timothy. He says, man, I need you to come with me. You're going to be useful for my church planting endeavors and visiting these churches and planting new ones, so come with me, Timothy. The same Timothy that the, um, the books in the New Testament are addressed to. So Timothy joins him up, and now we're back. We're, we're in our passage for this morning in verse Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. If you catch, suddenly it turns into we and to us. Luke, who wrote this, it seems, was with this part of the journey, with Paul. He joined him. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that her hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined them in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks." Jesus, would you speak to us through your word this morning as we look into this passage? Open our hearts to receive you and our ears to hear you. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so at the beginning, in verse 6, we have Paul, right? He gets Timothy and Lystra, and he's going out west, and he goes to these cities. We have Phrygia, Galatia, we have Mysia, we have Bithynia. And when he gets there, what happens? He's prevented from speaking, from preaching. He's prevented from really saying anything and doing ministry there. Now, we don't know how that came about. Maybe it was just this gut feeling of like, I really don't need to be here. I really shouldn't be ministering here. Maybe somebody that he met on the way, another Christian said, hey, man, I was praying. I, he just can't be here. Like, something happened to where it was obvious that the Spirit was telling him, no, this isn't the place you need to be. This isn't the place that you need to be, do ministry in. So I was reading this. Always, when I read the Bible, I ask questions. I think it's the best way to interact. I try to put myself in Paul's shoes, and I'm like, okay, surely Paul didn't just one day wake up and say, "Hey, let's just go out to these cities." All right, let's go. Like, surely there was some kind of prayer and thought and planning. We know there was planning because when Paul went to cities, he was very strategic in the cities he went to. He didn't just go in the middle of like nowhere. He went to the major cities that had influence on the cities. Around them, So if you plant churches in the big cities, the people would then, through commerce and et cetera, interact with the smaller communities on the outside and know the gospel could go farther if you went to the big cities first. He was a, he was a strategist. He knew what he was doing. He planned. We assume very well that he must have prayed before he set out on his journey. But he gets there, and suddenly he cannot minister here. He's told not to by God. Now, in our present way of thinking, we can look at that passage and say, well, geez, Paul, did you— hear from the lord did you what did you do surely if you would have said and maybe prayed some more and fasted some more or something you would have been told where to go maybe did you did you screw up paul did you make the wrong decision but this is where we get to our decision making process biblically here's what i'm fully convinced is the scriptural way that we need to make decisions all right and just hear me out on this paul did not wait around for riding in the sky to pop up when he set out on his journey. He didn't sit there and just kind of sit back and say, all right, God, should I go? Give me a sign. In the meantime, I'm just going to sit in my rear and do nothing and just kind of "Oh, Where are you at, God? Just give me a sign. He didn't do that. He just went up and he he went. Of course, we know that he prayed. We know that he probably sought counsel. He was being strategic. He was, you know, he put some thought into it. But he didn't just sit on his button wait for something to happen he just he just went and guys i'm here to tell you that scripturally what we see is that decision making finding this will of god i think we're a little bit misguided in that step one oftentimes is going to be just get up and just go do something now we can be biblically informed when we get up and go do something i want to walk through how to be biblically informed when we go and do something all right james is very clear We are told to pray for wisdom, told to pray for direction when we do things. James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to you. So yes, pray, God. Should I make this decision? Should I uproot my family? Should I move over here? Should I take this job? Should I marry this girl? Of course, pray, seek wisdom from God. And we're told that he's going to give us wisdom. Seek the scriptures for direction. Psalms 119 Right? Uh, the famous verse, God's word is a, feet to my, is a lamp to my feet and a light for our path. I heard one songwriter, you know, talk about the Bible as being essentially like a lamp that you can tie to your foot that kind of just illuminates the next step you're taking. Like it's, it's little feet lamps, right? This is, it guides us. It, it, it's a lamp on our feet and it lights our path before us. So search the scriptures. Look for wisdom in the scriptures as far as the decisions you are to make. Examine these. Be like good Bereans who heard things and just examine. Are these things true? Like, search this thing inside and out, upside down, like backwards. Like, immerse yourself in scripture, seeking wisdom as you're making these decisions. And also, Proverbs 27, 9, and a multitude of other Proverbs, seek counsel from others right? He says, Proverbs 27, verse 9, oil and perfume, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And as you're doing that, I want to, you know, a little side note here. Don't surround yourself with yes men who you know that was like, yeah, that sounds good. Like, go to the guy that you maybe, or the gal that you maybe don't like that much. It's kind of abrasive and will probably tell you, like, this is the stupidest decision you could ever make. Like, go to that person and hear what they have to say. And I think from those people, you'll realize, like, those guys can be, can be your good friends in life that can actually tell you that you're being an idiot and need to rethink your life and rethink your plans. I like having those people in my life. It's good to have them. So surround yourself with even those people. So the Bible, all right, clearly tells us, as we're doing this, the will of God is expressed to you so yes we're making decisions we need to make plans we need to figure out what tomorrow what we're doing tomorrow et cetera, and so forth but if you're looking for the will of god i want to tell you also that it is in scripture it's expressed clearly in scripture so if you want to know what that is let me tell you what it is luke 9 23 says this and he said to all jesus if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me What is the will of God for your life? Take up his cross daily. Deny yourself and follow him. That means all things in your life, all that you're going to do, say, speak, think, everything, is to be for Christ and in Christ and through Christ and for his glory. Deny yourself, take up whatever cross it means, and follow him. That's the will of God for your life. There's plenty more. We have Matthew 6, 10. The famous Lord's Prayer: Let Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Okay, so what am I doing? Is it going to be helping bring this ke- a glimpse of this kingdom down to earth today? Because we are to pray that that is the case. And so, is, are my decisions and is my, is my work in life helping to manifest a glimpse of that kingdom on earth? Because that is God's will for us to have our lives wrapped up in. Matthew 28, we, we put this against the back wall there on purpose because this is the will of God for all of us, the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's for you and you. as for everybody in this room. The will of God for your life is to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the will of God for all of our life is your will workplace, in your workplace, are you making disciples in your home? Are you making disciples? Are you pursuing the Great Commission and what you're doing? Because that is the will of God for your life. And to wrap this up, there's some verses also like this, and it's kind of the summary junk drawer verses, right? 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, yes, seek the scriptures and counsel and pray for decisions to make. Look at what God desires for your life to give Him glory in all things and the things we just discussed. And then there's this decision to make. If these things are matching up and they're done, I'm here to tell you, you have the freedom to make that decision. All right? Now, some cases, God may actually give you specific directions on where to go. And that is very true. We'll see. We saw in our passage, we'll see in a minute. That happens to Paul. Sometimes that happens, okay? But in all of Scripture, that's kind of the exception to the rule. If you really think about it, all the people that heard like an audible voice from God in Scripture, all the people that, you know, saw, you know, God speaking, booming down to them, hearing words out of heaven, it's a very small percentage of people in the Bible when it's all said and done, compared to all those who did not hear that, Right? I mean, often you would have prophets preaching to Israel. The prophets somehow would, in the Old Testament would hear from God. We know that because they're speaking the words of God. But it wasn't like Israel was hearing God's voice booming from you know, Mount Sinai in every single generation in the Old Testament. The vast majority of time it was a prophet speaking to them. We also have long periods of silence when God really wasn't speaking to Israel at all, right? And these things— seem to be more normative than it is to hear a specific go and move to this city or whatever it's going to be. Like, that happens uh, fairly uh, in, in a small amount of times of Scripture compared to the times that it did not happen. So I'm here to say if you're looking for that voice to come down from sky to help you uh, understand what you should be doing tomorrow or where you should be going or what decision, that if it's heavy in your life what you need to make, Maybe you shouldn't be seeking that voice. Maybe you need to, need to discern what the the general will of God is for us and get up and go. Spiritual apathy can come and it can, we can be immobilized. I sat in college, uh, this was 10 years ago now, um, with people who were just literally immobilized. Like, I don't know what degree path to choose because I just don't know what I want to do and I don't know how to just... And they're, like, frozen, the stress that comes. And, and, the, and it was, we were told, like, you got to discern the will of God, the will of God. What is the will of God? And it would immobilize people. Be free from that. Just get up and go and go. And so as we're going, Paul, okay, he, he was, you know, prevented from, from speaking, from preaching. He just went up. But then he gets his vision. Okay, like we said, sometimes this happens. Some of you here may say, like, yeah, I, I had a clear direction from God one day. And that's all. It happens sometimes. And Paul, it happened here. This dream, this vision, Macedonia man comes and says, Paul, come over here and preach. And so what did Paul do? We're going to Macedonia. He gets up immediately and he goes to Macedonia. Now, we can expect everything just to go hunky-dory, right? He heard it from God. Yes, we know where Paul needs to go. We're going to have like thousands of conversions. The whole city's going to get saved. We're gonna play in a mega church, it's gonna be awesome. Here we go. And Paul goes, and there's some unexpected results. There's some unexpected results. First off, he goes to a place of prayer to that's what he does in everybody every city he goes to, which is a synagogue. A synagogue is primarily made up of, of Jewish men. It would have been about at least ten, no less than ten men, and that would constitute a synagogue. And so he would go and find these meetings, and in this city there wasn't even enough Jewish men because we, he went to a place of prayer where it seemed like there was primarily women there. There could have been a hundred women and five men. It wouldn't have been considered a synagogue in the first century. So Paul finds this place of prayer, these God-worshippers. He starts with them, and it's primarily women. Now, for Paul, it doesn't appear like he cares. He doesn't see this difference. But if you're in an audience of, you know, first, in the first century, and you heard that Paul goes and starts preaching to these women— it would have been kind of a shock, just as much as we see Jesus spending time with a woman at the well in the first century Israel. To go and to interact with women like this would have been a bit like, oh, this is breaking cultural norms here. I mean, Paul knew the Gospels for all people, so he was free to break his cultural norms. But the first century reader to read that Paul goes goes here, and this woman Lydia responds, right, and he's preaching with her, and she's like, guys, come and stay. I'll support you. I'll house you. She's probably wealthy it appears selling purple goods it's like a king a, a, a color of royalty so he finds a supporter in this conversion through this woman Lydia and she's like come and hang out with us I'll, I'll give you food and I'll give you shelter while you're here and as you're reading this in the first century you've been like man like it wasn't like the ruler of the city was converted and all these important people it was it was a woman right a little bit unexpected if you're reading this in the first century who's the next person to get saved or gets ministered to at least, I don't know if she got, became a Christian, but she at least had her life changed, this little girl who was possessed by a demon running around, and she was a fortune teller, so she was a slave girl, right, and Paul is preaching, and here she is behind him, and I think she's probably mocking him at this point, like, he's, you know, works from the Most High God, he's servants to the Most High God, like, in a mocking tone, and it says day after day after day this was happening, and Paul gets annoyed, right, and he turns around and he casts this demon out of her by the name of Christ. We can presume this girl's life was changed. I'm sure she didn't forget this time when her life was began anew. We don't know if she became a Christian. I don't know. But the second person to receive significant ministry and have her life radically changed was a literal demon-possessed girl. Another unexpected person to have their life changed through Paul's preaching in Philippi. What's the third unexpected thing that happened? Well, their owners go to the magistrates. Right? In the city, the leaders in the city, they say, there's, these guys are here. Uh, they're disrupting the city. They're telling us to disobey Roman customs. The whole crowd, like earlier in Pisidia, for example, in Paul's first missionary journey, in Pisidia, he had just crowds coming around. Crowds were just getting saved, increased the numbers day to day. I mean, his results were just fantastic, you know. And now he's in Philippi. The whole crowd is against him. And what happens? He gets beat with rods. I mean, beat. He gets what they presume, and later Paul talks about his 39 lashes that he received by the hands, right, of his enemies. We presume this is one of those times when he was lashed, party 39 times with a rod, right? His back would have been, I mean, just ripped to shreds. His body just ripped to shreds. And then they throw him in jail. All right, then he's thrown in jail. So he heard from the Lord. Go to Macedonia, go preach. And his results, smaller and in, seemingly uh, insignificant conversions of, of small numbers of people, right? Just a handful of people. And then he's thrown in jail with his back just ripped to shreds. And there he is. So in our Americanized way, again, we can look at that and say, Paul, did you really have the dream? Are you, like, imagining something? Like, this doesn't seem that's very blessed by God. So one of our, our next point, I want to— to say is success, this is really huge, so if you don't hear anything, you know, listen to this, success isn't necessarily a sign of God's approval, and failure isn't a sign that God is against you. I'm going to say it one more time. Success isn't necessarily a sign of God's approval, and failure isn't a sign that God is against you. And our way that we look at our life in America, we just equate success with God's blessing. You know, Bless our country, and when we play for bless our country, we're praying that God would bless it by, you know, we, our life would get better, you know, or we would get health, you know, our economy would get better. We equate God's blessing with just an increase in livelihood, and your life will get smoother and better, and you get more profitable, et cetera, and so forth. Biblically, all right, the famous line by C.S. Lewis, he said, you know, taught, speaking of Aslan, the Chronicles of Narnia, right? He's not a safe God. He's not a safe lion, is what he would say, but he's a good lion. And what C.S. Lewis so just poetically and beautifully was addressing was that we're dealing with an infinite, eternal God who's far above our understandings, and he is somewhat unpredictable, right? He has the freedom to do things that we do not understand. He has the freedom to do things that will burst your bubble, that will not make sense to you, he will do that to us. And our response is that, this is why it's called the Christian faith. Ultimately, when dealing with an eternal God, we have to have faith. There's going to be innumerable times in your life when something happens and you say, I don't get this. God is good, but how in the world could this happen, right? Back to the, the famous, you know, how does evil exist? You know, God is good and there's big questions that we have. The only answer is faith because we don't understand We don't understand why God does what he does sometimes. We can plan. Paul, right, heard from God, had this dream. He's a master church planner. He'd done this so many times. He goes, he goes, he plans, and everything goes, could put. It's it's like, you know, a guy who is working a job, then he's offered this other job that pays better, schedules better. All right, I'm going to take this job. He takes the job. And then the company financially falls apart in two years, and the guy's left without a job. It's like, what? geez, I guess I didn't hear from the Lord then. Like, I'm here to say that's not... Our way to understand what happens in life is to say God blesses so things are profitable. God curses or God does not approve of this. Therefore, he'll make sure everything fails and falls apart. God has two things in mind when he acts. First off is his glory. His glory, if it's illuminated and if it's shined upon, is for the best thing of humanity, right? So if uh, if, if there's sin in this world, and we're struggling with how, how does evil exist in this world? We don't know. But the fact that when evil is, is there, oftentimes it illuminates the goodness and glory and purity and holiness of God. And even for that manner, we can be thankful to say, God, we see you in a much more glorious manner because of these things we don't understand, but we still know that you are high and you are glorious. And secondly, as we're working through what this Planning looks like, right? I want to walk through some Proverbs with you guys, all right? And, and so, again, success is not necessarily a sign of God's approval. Failure isn't a sign that God is against you. And this is how this plays out, okay, when we're actually having to plan for tomorrow, all right? These are important scriptures. Write these down. Memorize these. Get familiar with these. Proverbs 16:1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And we keep reading some of these. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own, wa- own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. And this is the biggie. Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. There is this kind of separation. I was just sharing this with our worship team before we, we played. It is this. We plan, we search the Scriptures, we get counsel, we pray. Absolutely. But the results of our planning, the results of our work, ultimately are out of your hands. And this is the reality we have to embrace as Christians, is to say, I don't know what's going to come about after I plan and after I make these. I don't know what tomorrow's ultimately going to hold. I'm going to do the best I can to make the wisest decisions possible. And the Proverbs generally speak of the benefits of wisdom, the benefits of planning well right? It's kind of like the, the, the character response, I guess they call it in Proverbs, right? The, um, you work as hard as you can to being a wise uh, person that fears the Lord. And yes, you're going to be benefits as you're doing that. But ultimately, there's still that mystery kind of rolling ties of the ocean that a storm can come and just make everything chaotic and crazy that you don't expect we have to work and plan and pray and seek the Lord, but ultimately say we're going to make these decisions, and God, the results is in your hands. The result is going to be in your hands. Listen to this very interesting passage from Ecclesiastes 9. I've been reading Ecclesiastes slowly every morning because I feel like I'm reading it for the first time. It's just like, just, just really just rocking my, you know, my, my world. But listen to this passage. Verse 11 and 12 in chapter 9. I have observed something else under the sun. This is from the New Living Translation. The paraphrases, the translations, you know, I'm not a huge fan of but in this one, they re- he really hit it well. This is paraphrase. Listen to this. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes goes hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come, like fish in a net or birds in the trap. People are caught by sudden tragedy. So I read that to show you that it's not about how well how deep and how pious you are in seeking the Lord. Um, it's not about only how much counsel you sought. Those things are so helpful. Please do them. But ultimately, the results belong to the Lord. And this is actually freeing. So I, I was going to say this for the end, but I, I want to say this. like, There's freedom in this. This is a huge freedom for us. If we realize that tomorrow is ultimately kind of out of our hands, but we are going to be as responsible as we can with planning and and working day to day, there's a freedom like James says, don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen. So focus on today. We have Jesus saying, Hey, the very hairs in your head are numbered. If a dead bird falls out of the sky, I, I know about it. So if I know about that, surely I care about you today. We have the freedom to say, God. I'm going to enjoy today and not have anxiety about tomorrow. I'm going to, as the famous phrase says, like, seize this day and say, I'm going to enjoy my Lord, enjoy my family, enjoy my job, enjoy my work, and give all the results of what tomorrow holds into the hands of the Lord. And so when something difficult happens in life, as we see Paul, he handles it with joy. How? Because he knows that God brought that about. He must have his purposes and his reasons. And we don't even have to understand them. But with faith, we know that he's good and loving and glorious and wonderful. So we can say, God, I embrace this, even if it's hard. But with joy, I can walk through this. If he has successes in life, guess what? That's not because of you. If you think you're really good at your work and your job and you're successful, guess what? There's somebody out there smarter than you, more capable than you, who doesn't have your job. If he had your job, could really kill at it and do way better than you could. Your successes are not in your hands. It is up to the Lord to make your hands successful. Guys, this is a freedom that we have as Christians. And it takes faith to find this freedom. To say, Lord, my tomorrow is in your hands. And we see Paul actually having this next week as he is in jail. Uh, It starts off saying at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. I mean, the way that he was fastened in jail was that where he was so immensely uncomfortable, not just having his back destroyed by these rods, but actually having his legs tied in such a way where he couldn't even like sit and relax. And so at midnight, he's wide awake. What is he doing? He's singing hymns. Like, how does he do that? Well, he knew God must have something in this, that it's all in his hands. And so therefore, he's singing and making joyful noise to the Lord. So a few application points as we close. Number one, don't wait for writing in the sky before you move your finger, especially young people out there. Um, if, if if you feel stuck in the middle of you know uh, tomorrow and career decisions and this and that, um, take heed to biblical counsel and counsel of others and seek the Lord through prayer. But don't be immobilized. Just go out and just go do something. Make a decision. Don't wait for writing in the sky to come. Don't wait for it to come. Number two, if you planned a decision biblically and sought to make. A big decision wailed, but it failed. It does not mean that you're a failure. It does not mean that you're a failure. It means God has something in mind, and you are to trust in His goodness and keep working at these things, keep working in your life to make these decisions, but you're not a failure, right? Success is granted by God and God alone. Plan well, work hard, but it does not mean that you are a failure. Find that freedom in this. Secondly, if you planned a decision biblically, thirdly, and sought to make a good decision well, and it's a success, as we just said, remember that God did that, not you. Don't let your head get too big, right? Number four, if you worked hard at something with all of your might, or if there were unexpected results that were not what you exactly worked towards, as we see with Paul here, you need faith to trust that God is truly sovereign. Guys, Jesus, okay, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was a man. He was a truly truly man, hundred percent man, hundred percent God. He had a difficult time with the reality of the cross in front of him. We know ultimately Hebrews says with joy he went to the cross. But even in this joy, right, there was a struggle. What did he say in the Gethsemane? God, if there's another way, uh, I would, you know, that'd be nice, but your will done before my own. He knew that ultimately it was God and control and not him, but he struggled with these things. Yes, we're going to struggle if unexpected things happen, or even if you know what's coming, we're going to struggle, and that's fine. But faith can bring you through it to where ultimately Hebrews can say, even though Christ as a man struggled with the immense sufferings that were before him, with joy he embraced it and moved on. It is possible to enjoy whatever, to embrace, and with joy em- you know, embrace whatever comes your way through the sovereign and un, sometimes ununderstandable ways of God. And so in conclusion, enjoy this day in Christ. Work in what is before you with all of your might for the glory of Christ. Plan well with biblical wisdom and counsel, but leave the results to God. Don't let the future paralyze you. God has given you this day in Christ to have. Seize this day. And like Paul, if you find yourself in great trials and tragedy or you find yourselves with great success, right, where money is just spilling over and your company is just blowing up, you find yourself in great success, whatever may come your way, find yourself singing tunes of worship and joy and thanksgiving to our Lord. And as you see in next week, God did have something incredible in mind when Paul was in jail because the thing is he always does. He always does. One day, it says in Romans 8, good comes out of all that God does. It may not be even in our lifetime, but good always will come out. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word that is just so immensely practical for just day-to-day life, Lord. You didn't leave us um, abandoned without counsel on how to live this life for your glory. God, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired us these words, Lord, and you gave us the stories of your disciples of Paul and all the apostles and the prophets and all these stories we can can learn from, God. We want our lives to be completely wrapped around yours. We want our lives to be only about you, Jesus. We want to work as hard as we can and be as biblically informed as we possibly can, but God, give us the freedom to give tomorrow into your hands. Give us that freedom, Jesus. But may we be Christians who plan well, work hard, search the scriptures, get counsel, and do what we can to see your kingdom be manifested here on this earth, but God ultimately it is in your hands. We thank you for that, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.